Uh, how did you cope with the storm over the last week or so? Uh, it's been some pretty wild weather, hasn't it? Trees blown down, train lines closed, roads flooded, uh, power lines brought down. Uh, last Saturday our family had planned a lovely evening under the stars at an outdoor concert in the Domain. Oh, it was still a lovely evening, but uh, we got rather wet. Uh, I know several church Christmas carol events that were cancelled or ruined. Um, and then, of course, there was the hail this week. It destroyed cars and roofs. Michael Deal, you might have seen on uh, social media, was riding home and he was caught in the hailstorm and eventually arrived home hours late. Uh, And so what all of this weather means is that uh, plans are changed and abandoned, promises are broken. And that's often the way things are with with our plans, with our promises. We can't control the future or the weather. We We don't know what's around the corner. Something that could upset our plans, stop us keeping our promise. But one of the messages of these verses today is that God always keeps his promise. Uh, He set plans in place from eternity and nothing can derail his purposes. Not bad weather, not a lack of planning. God will always work out his purposes. Uh, Although, if you looked at the mess the world's in at the moment, you may doubt it. Uh, It may seem like God's lost control. The way the world is, is one of the barriers that stops people believing in God or at least believing in the God of the Bible. A God who's involved and powerful and who loves us. Because what people do is they look at the world, they read their newspapers and they see the pain and the suffering, they see the injustice, they see the environmental disasters, the bushfires, the droughts, the hailstorms and they say, well if God was really there... He'd do something, wouldn't he? Where is God when all of that happens? Why doesn't he stop the wars, heal the cancers, protect the innocent, restore the downtrodden, relieve the poverty, bring the bad guys to justice? They doubt firstly that he sees, or perhaps that he cares, or perhaps that he has the power to do anything about what there is in the world. Now, this is, it's a huge question, I don't have all the answers, but the events of Christmas give me the confidence about some things, some things that we do know. In the midst of the mess, Christmas reminds us that God sees, he cares, and he's done something about it. He sees, he cares, and he's done something about it. Let's go back to the time of Mary. Israel, at that time, was in a mess. Uh, for 400 years, God had been silent. There were no prophets, no heroes, no judges, no kings, no messages. And for the best part of 600 years, Israel had suffered at the hands of first one regional superpower and then the next. Uh, Nations that demanded tribute from them, controlled their economies and their government, restricted their freedom. Israel was under the threat of violence and subjugation for centuries. Babylon, then Persia, then Greece under Alexander the Great, and then Rome. And it was Rome who were in control at the time of Mary. And with each new change, Israel hoped that their fortunes would change, that this would be the new broom that would bring relief. 
that this time God would hear their prayers and save his people and restore the balance and bring justice for the oppressed. And the reason they hoped was because that's what God had promised. The prophets had looked forward to a time when God would return. He'd promised to them that he would return and he would save and he would send a king, a rescuer who would set things right, who'd fix things up. There's lots of places we could turn to in the Old Testament, for example, but I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 60, a prophecy given to God's people in exile in Babylon, pretty much as low as they can get, and God promises this. Isaiah 60 verse 14. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet. Although you've been forsaken and hated, I will make you the everlasting pride and joy of all nations. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Saviour, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. What wonderful promises for God's people stuck in exile in 500, 550 BC But the decades came and went, one generation succeeded another and still the oppressors ruled, still God was silent, still God was absent. Until one day, around 4 BC, best we can work out, when an angel appeared to a young girl called Mary in a country town called Nazareth in the far north of Israel, in the middle of nowhere. And the angel had a message. The first one to an Israelite in who knows how long. Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now, it's not the sort of greeting you get every day. He was God who'd been silent for 400 years and when he does choose to send a message, it doesn't come to a king or a prophet or a warrior. It comes to a young girl a nobody from nowhere. And the message begins that this nobody is highly favoured by God, that God is with her. Now it seems like good news, but we're told that Mary is greatly troubled. I think it's probably due more to the messenger than the message. This is from Gabriel a supernatural being sent from God himself. His name means mighty man of God and you have to assume that he measures up to his name. In the book of Daniel, when Daniel, who wasn't even scared of lions, saw Gabriel, we're told he was terrified and fell to the ground. So maybe Mary being greatly troubled is a fairly brave position. But if the introduction 
troubled her, that's nothing compared to the rest of the message because Gabriel continues, verse 30, don't be afraid, I'm not here to harm you. It seems like almost the first thing angels always say to people, don't be afraid, it's okay, you're not about to die. Don't be afraid, I'm not here to harm you, you've found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. They're familiar words, especially at this time of year, and they tend to wash over us, I think. And so we lose something of what an extraordinary announcement it was. Was there ever a more momentous message delivered in such a small number of words? Finally, God was going to step into history and act and rescue and restore his people and bring in a new kingdom with a new king who would reign forever. No more generational rule and such and such rule than he died and such and such rule than he died. No more whoever had the strongest army was in control until a stronger army came along. No more of that. He would reign forever. And this king would bring in all of God's promised blessings. The promises the prophets had spoken of for ages. It's an amazing message and and while we concentrate on the second part of the message, perhaps understandably, Mary's more interested in the first part. Do you notice? You will be with child. And Mary's first question is, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? It's funny, isn't it? It's the being with child that has her stumped. It's not the son of the Most High. It's not the throne of his father David. It's not his kingdom will never end. It's like she hasn't even heard that part. It's the, you will be with child. She may be young, she may only be engaged, but she does know where babies come from and it doesn't happen on its own. But the angel has an answer. God's Holy Spirit will overshadow her and a virgin who'd never been with a man would miraculously find she had an embryo growing inside her. The same Spirit who'd hovered over the waters at creation who'd brought life out of nothing, who'd brought order out of chaos, who'd brought light out of darkness, hovers over a young girl and brings new life where before there'd been nothing. And as if supporting evidence was needed, the angel adds that Mary's old relative Elizabeth is expecting which seems quite a minor miracle comparatively, but it's more evidence. And the angel concludes, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. There's an answer to people who say to you, why doesn't God do something? They think he doesn't have the power. But the angel says that nothing is impossible with God. He can cure your cancer. He can bring peace in the war. He can protect that child. He can end that drought. 
And he is doing it. He is daily at work, sometimes in miraculous ways, often in very normal sorts of ways. In what some people might call luck or medicine or human generosity. But God is at work. God is behind all of those so-called normal rescues. Nothing is impossible addresses people's doubts that God is able. But what about their other complaint, that he's not interested, that he's preoccupied, he's got more important things on his mind? But the angel is saying that God has heard the cries of his people. They're great words, aren't they? God has heard the cries of his people. He's keeping his promise. It's just that he's working according to his timetable. He's working to 400 years, not four or 40. And that's often our problem as well, isn't it? We want God, we'll believe in God as long as he works according to our timetable or does our bidding. We like God when our version of God is the personal genie God. You rub the lamp, you say a a quick prayer and the parking spot appears. Rub the lamp and the job materialises. The knee is is mended. The storm stops. And yet God is much bigger than that. His vision for what's our best is far bigger than what we think. And that's something the angel's message makes clear. But what about the other claims the angel makes? If you think about it, there are some pretty big statements there. Look there from verse 31. His name will be Jesus. It's the same name in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means God saves. God is about to act to rescue and he'll do it through this little baby. The little baby will be great. So great he'll be called God's son which is more about royalty than divinity as we might read it. It's about he's going to be an exalted ruler. He'll be given the throne of his father David, the greatest king Israel had seen and yet uh, Jesus will be even better than David because his reign will never end. They're big promises. It would take a great deal of faith for Mary to believe all of that. And yet that's what Mary did. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In the modern translation we'd we'd say, bring it on, said Mary. Who wouldn't want some of that? Who wouldn't want God intruding into their life? hearing their prayers and sending a saviour and bringing an eternal kingdom of peace and goodness and righteousness. Bring it on, we say, with Mary. Bring it on, because all around people are saying God's nowhere to be found. But God is saying he's going to step into your world and rescue you. Who wouldn't want that? So what do you say to an offer like that? What are you saying? Are you saying with Mary, bring it on? Well, what does Mary do? She says, bring it on, and then she's so pleased, in verse 46, she breaks into song. 
My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's singing because of all that Israel has gone through, she's looking forward to the future for God to bring some justice and restore the balance. And then look at what she says about God, about his way of doing things. Verse 52. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God's way of doing things is to flip things around. From her own experience, she looks at God's work in the world, at his past and present and future work, and she sees his hand everywhere. She sees that he is restoring the weak and bringing justice and working righteousness. He is bringing in his kingdom, and he will. And she's rejoicing in that. And he's going to do it because that's what he's promised. You see, she recognises God's promises, verse 54. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. He's keeping a promise. Mary's looking forward to what God will do and she has the confidence to look forward because she's looking back. God has done this. He's done it. And so I trust him that he will do it. He has performed mighty deeds. It's past tense. And so I can trust that he will do it in the future. And there's a lesson from Mary for us in that as well. It's the fact of God stepping into history of that first Christmas, of hearing the prayers of his people and sending his Saviour and keeping his promises. Those facts give us confidence that he will keep doing it that he'll answer our prayers, that he'll change our situations, that he will be bringing in his kingdom and hallowing his name. And we need to have that faith. We need to have the confidence uh, built by God's actions in the past because we look around at the world and we recognise that things are not perfect. Disaster. Famine, war, disease, injury. And as we think about, as I look out here and I look at some of you and I I know that there have been, it has been a tough year or longer. And our facts, the facts of our life make us wonder and cause to doubt God's promises and his action. But the message of Christmas is that God cares He cares for Mary and for Israel and for us. He cares so much he sent his son, not just to be born, but to die a cruel and painful death. God hates the mess that this world is in more than you. He hates the pain more than you. Jesus proves it. And the good news for us is that one day God will say, enough, I can't stand this anymore. I can't bear 
what's been done to my world and when that day comes he'll bring this world to a close, he'll finish it up and he will set things right once and for all. I've said that it's good news but it's good news and bad news, isn't it? Because justice is always both good and bad news. It's bad news for the guilty and Mary's song points that out and it's good news for the innocent and Mary's song points that out. When God's justice comes, it'll be bad news for the powerful who exploit but it'll be great news for the humble. It'll be bad news for the greedy rich but it'll be great news for the hungry. God sent Jesus the baby to begin his rescue mission and it was Jesus the man dying and being raised from death who won that restoration and one day God will send back Jesus the judge to finish it all up. And the way you treat Jesus determines your outcome on that day whether it will be good or bad news for you. Ignore Jesus now and he will ignore you then. Follow Jesus, obey, live for him now and he will welcome you then. Follow Mary's example. Say with her, bring it on. I am the Lord's servant. And just like Mary, in a moment we get the chance to respond to God's message and sing about his great rescue. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see your purposes at work. We thank you for the reminder this morning of how you have kept your promise in Jesus. And we pray that we might see more and more the fulfilment of your purposes uh, in your world as your kingdom comes and as your will is done and as we long for the day when Jesus will return and you will restore all things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.